Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, James chapter 5. If you are visiting with us, or if you have forgotten, we are doing a, uh, a series on prayer. And I want to take just a little bit of time just to kind of introduce where we're going this morning with this idea of prayer. We just sang that song, Beautiful Things. It's one of my favorites. I'm partial. My oldest daughter introduced it to us, I think, back when she was in high school. It was a long time ago. And uh, I just want to just start with by asking you a question just for you to contemplate this morning. God makes beautiful things out of us. I wonder how much we really believe that. We're talking about prayer, and we uh, are looking at different things that we pray for. So we looked at the prodigal, we looked at the lost. Today we're looking at God's act in healing us, praying for God's healing. And uh, the reality is, as a pastor over the years, when I look at prayer requests, from people, people come to me and ask me to pray for them, I would say overwhelmingly, number one thing that somebody asked me to pray for is some sort of physical healing. Number two, way down the line of frequency is financial. And then there's a number three, it's probably relational, but it's way down there. And so as we are doing this series on prayer, I definitely wanted to address this idea of God healing us. And I want to start by saying this. I have some stipulations to the sermon, so this is always interesting. Number one, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Uh, We can talk about prayer and everybody can say, I know I should pray more. I'm not praying for the right things. That's not the point. We believe in prayer, and that's why we're talking about it. Second, I want to say that I really do believe that God still heals today. I think the reason why we don't see it as much is, first of all, our own faith. But second, it's because of the priority that we put on physical healing over all the other healing. And third, because of that wrong view of that, Um, we don't really investigate or spend time on some of the other things that might be making us physically ill. In other words, the emotional or the, the spiritual that may be attributing to this. So James chapter five is an interesting, James is an interesting book. Some of the early reformers wanted to throw it out altogether. But James chapter five in this passage is probably Uh, one of the most difficult passages to preach on, or at least study, because if I grab all my commentaries off and I do all my word studies and all the things that I do, I will just say that in my study this week, there was a spectrum of a commentator or a, a famous person preacher saying, this has nothing to do with physical healing. This is all about God's physical healing. And so we have a kind of a really in everything in between. And so let's read the passage and dig into it a little bit this morning. We're in James chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? 
Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it, may not, that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit." My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, as we look at James, the Bible nerd part of me, uh, asks some basic questions that I teach my students. What type of literature is this? It seems to be discourse, and it's an epistle. Um, and so we kind of approach it as an epistle. And uh, one commentator kind of brought up, or one theologian brought up the fact that James seems a little different than the other epistles. And he argues that James is kind of a mixture of wisdom literature, old Hebrew wisdom literature, and Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount kind of thrown together. And I really kind of like that. Because James seems to be coming from all sorts of, it's like reading the book of Proverbs. He goes from the tongue to, he, you know, sick and all these different things. You go, I have trouble following this. Because it's kind of this hodgepodge of wisdom. And he takes some ideas, well, some truth from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he puts them all together. And so as we look at this, there's kind of a wide range of things to look at. And so what's the main point? The main point is this. The wise person prays in all circumstances. The wise person prays in all circumstances. A wise person asks God for help. A wise person seeks help from others. A wise person knocks fervently. And a wise person pursues the wayward. So just a few reminders here. Definition of prayer that we've been working with is a, a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. Okay, we've been using Timothy Keller's definition there, so it's personal, it's communicative, and it's based on our knowledge of God. The more we know about God, the more it's going to impact how we pray. Here's a few other things I just want to keep in mind as we talk about prayer. At the beginning, we looked at this in the first week, people of God are identified as those who cry out to God in Genesis chapter 4. So people of God, followers of Jesus, are those who cry out to God. Second, our justification grants us access to God. Our justification grants us access to God. Listen to this in Romans chapter 5. Next slide. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we also obtained access by faith into grace 
in which we stand and we rejoice. That justification gives us this access to God. Man, it's interesting as you look at statistics about prayer, number of people, percentage of people who say they pray, it's, it's up there in the high 90s. Number of people that say they pray on a, on a daily basis, number of people that say they believe, on, believe in God is less than that. And so when you put that, you even the atheists are praying. Somebody might want to clue them into that. But then we have to say, well, then what is prayer? What is it that we're actually doing? And so we recognize as followers of Jesus, we have a different level of access. It's not just words going up into the sky, but because of Jesus, we actually have access to the throne room of God. Now, if that doesn't make you want, I mean, we could just stop right there and say, why don't you want to pray more? I mean, you're in. Third, um, we are called to live lives of prayer. We are all called to live lives of prayer. And it's not just a, it's not just a pastoral thing. Okay, now it's, I'm not telling you not to do this anymore, but you know, we'll, we'll be going to dinner at somebody's house or whatever it is, and somebody will say, will you pray? You're the professional or pastor. Look, we all have access. What do we mean by professional? I get paid for it? Ugh, yikes. We pay you to do that. No. Look, we, I'm just like you. Like, we... We all have these people that we kind of look up to and we go, man, when they pray, the words just flow. I can't pray because I can't pray like them. I mean, do you think God has some sort of chart up there? And I've always said this before, but I, my grandfather, I don't know what it was. I loved my grandfather. I respect, I loved him. But every time he started praying, he prayed in King James. He didn't speak in King James. And I, I, I mean, I wish I didn't have the courage as a kid, but I just assumed God spoke King James. Our justification gives us access to the throne, and we are called to live lives of prayer. In the second, uh, the, excuse me, the first Timothy passage here, right? First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions. Notice this that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Why are we supposed to be praying for uh, these politicians? It's so that we can live a quiet life. Devote more time to prayer. In our scripture reading uh, this past week, we came to that uh, time when Jesus is, is disrupting the temple, according to the religious leaders, and he drives people out. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, "My the, the Lord's house to be a house of prayer. And as we were reading that this week, I just stopped for a minute and I paused and I, I thought about how in the New Testament we are called the temple. That Jesus resides in us, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I thought, how much more, if the temple was to be the house of prayer, how much more that our temple should be a house of prayer? The reality is prayer doesn't come easily. It's work. We call it a 
discipline. And so we're talking about prayer, and we're facing God's word, and we understand, look, the more that we understand about God, the more that we're going to pray, we have access to God, what should we be praying for? The prodigals, the lost. And the point of the sermon today was, and, and the sick, and the sick, but this is such a huge passage that it's more than that. So the wise person prays in all circumstances. First, on your notes, a wise person asks God for help. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now this word suffering uh, is used four, four times in scripture. In the Greek, it's in three different formats. To suffer, endure evils, hardship, and trouble. Now, we recognize that as James starts this letter, that he is writing to a group of Jewish people who have been displaced because of persecution. So that suffering definitely includes that spiritual uh, persecution that is going on of the church. And so some have concluded then, verse 14, is anyone sick, that that sick is just a result of the suffering. I've come to a conclusion that these words aren't as clear as we want them to be, and they're not as clear as we want them to be on purpose. It's a wider range than that. There's various types of prayer in this passage. There's personal. We just looked at that. Is anyone suffering? He should pray. He, she should respond, and whatever that suffering is, we'll look at that in a minute, in prayer. The second type of prayer that's messaged in this passage is what I want to call shepherding prayer. Shepherding prayer. Is anyone sick? Let him call the who? The elders, the pastors, the shepherds. Now, this isn't just the elders or the pastor going and praying for people who are sick in the church. It's much wider than this in the passage. And this is why I want to use the word shepherding here. Let's note a few different things. First of all, the person has called the elders in to pray for them. And second, there is an anointing of oil. Now we're already confused. What are, we, what are we doing with the oil? Oil is used in different ways in Scripture. It's, it's uh, medicine. Uh, it's used at dedication times. It's used as a covering, a blessing. So it's got multiple uses. And... Third, there's a tie here in this little area of this calling the elders. And look at verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Okay, we like that. And the Lord will rise him up, raise him up. Oh, we like that. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. When did sins get in this? And notice the next verse, therefore. Now, I teach my Bible study method students all the time. When you come to the word therefore, you need to stop and ask what it's there for. And so he's clearly tying this previous conversation about the elders coming in. And then he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. So the shepherding prayer is a little bit different. It's not just the pastors or elders anointing you with oil and praying over you for healing. It's a pause for a moment for your pastor or elder to say, Let's look at some other areas that might be causing this. Do you have any unconfessed sins? 
wait a second, I just want to get better here. You called us in here. What's causing this? What, is there any relational break in this? Is there anything here that might be spiritually impacting you, taking communion, or coming to the Lord and asking him for prayer? You say, whoa, wait a second. Now this is getting personal. Let me read it again. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Amen? And the Lord will rise him up. We like that. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. They're tied together. One of the reasons we have such an emphasis on physical healing is I would argue that our worldview is messed up a little bit. Let me step away for a second. Um, the younger you are, the more prominent this worldview is probably set in your mind. But I think it's true uh, because of our culture and TV and news and all that we look at, that it's just embedded in us. And the Western worldview is this. You were born okay. And uh, you have so much potential. And you just need to grasp that potential and become all that you were made to be. And the older we get, we go, the only thing that's holding me back is this physical body that's breaking down. The biblical worldview is quite the opposite. That is that you are born a wretched sinner. And that sin isn't just a little problem. It's actually part of your entire nature. And we battle that nature our entire life. That's why the Apostle Paul, who I think we're putting up there, you know, on the realm of people who are doing pretty good, he says, man, I do what I don't want to do. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And so what we need to change is everything about us, and we can't do it, except that God does it for us. And we work with the Holy Spirit in this redeeming act of becoming more like Christ. There needs to be shepherding prayer. Third, there's communal prayer. There's groups in the community. Pray for one another. It doesn't just have to be the pastor or the elder. Various types of prayer. There's various types of trouble. I think the word here is purposely vague. And so I would say that there's all sorts of ways that we should ask God for help. We should ask God for physical help. Please hear me, because I know some of you will say, oh, the pastor doesn't want to pray, pray for physical things. That's not what I'm saying. Absolutely, let's pray for physical healing. I prayed with Ruth this morning. She's having surgery tomorrow. I absolutely believe in that. Okay? Let's, let's ask God for those things. But how about stuff that's going on in our emotions? Should we be praying to God for those things? Not experiencing the joy that I should be experiencing. I'm, I'm worrying. I'm, I'm bent 
emotionally. We should ask God for relational help. It's amazing to me. I, I've had people come into my office over the years and, and can you pray for our kids? They're not living for the Lord and they're, they're living in an immoral relationship and just pray that they get out of that immoral relationship. I say, wait a second. Um, let me ask you a question. Are they followers of Jesus? No. Well, let's start there. When's the last time you've talked to them? We haven't talked to them in a long time. What in the world's going on here? Our priorities are all mixed up. Let's, let's pray for relational healing. Man, uh, let's pray that God is, is relationally acting in our life. Is it wrong to pray for financial help? No. I'm okay praying for that. It just tends to creep up our list in America, doesn't it? Man. I love that scene. I think I already referred to it once in the series, but I, you know, it was just past Christmas, right? We're watching It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, George Bailey is having a conversation with his guardian angel. He says, do you have any money? Little man, I'm worried about you. He says, no, we don't, we don't have any need for that. And George Bailey says, what we all think it comes in pretty handy down here. Right? I mean, that must be nice for you. It's okay to pray. God knows our needs. I put this one on the list because I just feel like it's the environment we're, we're in, right? We read the First Timothy passage. Ask God for political help. Right? We should be praying for that. I purposely left one off the list. What's missing? There's probably more than one I left off the list. How often are we coming and asking for spiritual help? God, I want to, I want to become more like you. I want to have a bolder witness. I want to see things from your word. I want to be filled with the Spirit. Help me to to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Are we asking God to spiritually change us as much as we're asking God to physically heal us? There's various types of responses in this passage. It's interesting to me. He says, is anyone suffering? They should pray. That's the response. Suffering, prayer. And he goes right in, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him what? Sing praise. I think there should be a balance in our prayer and response life that we have as many requests as we do praises, at least for God. Now, outside of Sunday morning, when's the last time you sang a praise? Man, it... Now, the last time you were suffering, you said, oh, I need to pray. The last time you woke up in a good mood, didn't you say, man, I need to sing a song? I'll tell you, nothing will clear a room quicker than if I start singing a song by myself. Okay? But there's other ways that we praise. Third in here, notice, is, is any among you, right, uh, therefore confess our sins to one another? That's, that's another response, Confession. I just want to ask you a question again, just in the quietness of your own heart. 
How many times this past week did you confess sins to God? As we get older, we think, man, I think I've got this stuff, I've got this stuff pretty much worked out. And I want to say, really? Because Paul was still struggling. The Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul also wrote in Colossians, uh, says this, let anyone who thinks that he stands, <laughs> listen to that, let, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Hmm. I may not have my act together as much as I think I have my act together. Well, I tell you, we pray for all sorts of other people to confess their sins or that they get found out. But are we praying for sin in our life? Are we confessing it? What about the sins we don't know about? Are we asking God to reveal it to us? A wise person asks God for help. Second, a wise person seeks help, prayer, from others. Simply, this, this passage, what does it mean to call the elders and have them pray? I would say, first of all, it's just an act of obedience. Look, we can sit here and go, well, I don't know. What does it mean to call the elders? And what does it mean that they're going to anoint us with oil? Uh, what does it mean that they might ask us about our spiritual life and if we've confessed sin? And what, what is all that? Just, it just, the Bible says it, so then let's do it. Most of the times we've had elder prayer for somebody, it's been my phone call saying, hey, what, what, what about if the elders came and anointed you with oil and prayer? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. What well, is a good idea? I got it from James chapter 5. It's a really good idea. And it's an idea that should come to mind for you to call the elders and have them pray. It's just an act of obedience. I don't think it's a magic bullet. It's an act of obedience. Second, it's an act of community. Um, I want to read a psalm to you. Just, just listen. This is Psalm 133. David says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hemron, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Uh, Hebrew poetry uses a lot of parallelism. And so uh, David here has three things that he is showing us that are together here. When brothers dwell in unity, when the oil, the commissioning, the, the blessing of Aaron, when the oil is put on his head and it runs down, that sounds, does not sound pleasant to me, but they, David is saying, this is a great thing. And the dew, when it falls on the mountains. We don't think about that as much because we live in Oregon. Um, we have dew uh, almost every day. It's called rain. Uh, I scraped it off my car this morning. I have to use so much wet, i got to clean it off my windshield, right, before I come into church. But if you're out in a desert and you find the dew in the morning, you say, oh, Lord, thank you for watering the crops. 
It's a beautiful thing. And so David is saying, man, when we live in community, when we rely on other people, when, they, when we call them into our life, it's a beautiful thing. That's why part of our vision here, we have words like peacemaking, family, community, hospitality. Why? Because we believe those things are essential to a healthy group. Third, it's an act of humility. Oftentimes, when we come to prayer, it's at that point where I've tried everything and nothing seems to be working. We should probably all come to that conclusion a little bit earlier than we do. It's an act of humility, bowing our knee before God. It's an act of submission. James says, Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, what? In the name of the Lord. The elders and the person asking for prayer are submitting to the name, the person, the position of a holy God. It's an act of faith. On the, one of the, on the part of the one calling, I have faith. As people pray over me, notice the position the person is in. Let them pray over him. It's, it's symbolic here, or at least a visual of the person maybe lying down, can't get up and go to the elders and raise up, right? So there's this, this part of just this humility, this submission, this faith, it's, it, it's on the part of the person making the call, have the elders come, and the faith should be on the part of the elders who are going to pray as well. I've told this story before. We had a, another church, a woman who had cancer. Um, her husband was a doctor. She detected the cancer herself and didn't tell anybody. Decided just to pray about it. Now the cancer was uh, very advanced, and she called on the elders to pray. We were in a church that didn't have a senior pastor. I was the young youth pastor. I used to be young once. And uh, I was in seminary, and uh, so somehow it fell on me to make the call to the elders. Hey, this is a request. Let's get together. And so we talked about it, and uh, we're driving over there. I just, it was so fun because I was a kid, so I was, you know, I was sinful, and I am sinful today. And I, we're in the car driving over there. I said, hey, did anybody bring oil? Oh, no, wait, wait, we should have done that. We'd, like, I got it. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I brought some. And so we go, and we, we anoint this guy with oil, and a few of us begin praying over her, prayers of healing. And then one of the elders got up there and started praying, and I should have tackled him and taken him out of there, but I was... And he prayed the most beautiful eulogy prayer. Where was his faith? Look, man, I'm telling you, if I get to the point where I'm calling the elders to pray over me, I want elders to show up that have faith. And you do too. It's an act of faith. 
A wise person knocks fervently in prayer. As James goes on in here, he says, uh, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Let me just stop there for a moment. Elijah. Of the prophets of the Old Testament, he's up on the top of the list, you know. Top five, probably top three here. I mean, this guy was amazing, right? I mean, uh, what an incredible prophet. And so James is saying, hey, Elijah's just like us. And you got to know the right. He's like, wait, what? This is Elijah. We have to recognize that part about our nature. There are more people that have more faith. There are people who pray more eloquently. But but beyond that, we are all sinners who are saved by God's grace. So he says, look, Elijah was a man like ours, and he prayed fervently. A wise person prays fervently. Why? Because he or she is convinced God answers prayer. As you read through Scripture, and then James tells this story. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain. Elijah prayed that it rained, and it did rain. That's a pretty amazing thing. He's just like us, but he prayed fervently. Are you convinced that God answers prayer? I believe in praying God's will be done. I believe praying in the name of the Lord. You know, all these different things. But we, sometimes when we pray, we give ourselves all sorts of outs. Because he or she is converted. And what I mean by that is, look, what, what makes us like Elijah is the fact that in Christ we have repented and there is a righteousness that comes from Christ, not a righteousness of your own. If you want to say, man, I don't know, can I produce a righteousness like Elijah? The answer is no. Fortunately, God is seeing Christ's righteousness in you. The reality is that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That sin nature is raging inside of us. But God loved us so much that his son took the place, paid the price for our sin. And that's wonderful, but it doesn't stop there. The spirit of God comes into the person of faith who has trusted Jesus Christ. And there begins a process where God is molding us and shaping us into his image. We are imputed with Christ's righteousness And it's a beautiful thing. It's not just that we are saved. It's the fact that we are saved and God is making us like him. That's why James can say we're we're just like him. Just like Elijah. Now the other thing I want to note in this is what James is praying about. Rain and no rain. The reason why he is knocking fervently in prayer is because he recognizes that he is on mission. He is commissioned. When we pray fervently, we pray because we believe that God has commissioned us. He he has directed us to do something. Elijah is like us. Nothing special in him other than God. 
But the thing that makes Elijah unique is that he is on mission. Elijah prays fervently. So let me ask you this. Why do you want God to heal this situation, whatever it is in your life? Physically, emotionally, relationally. Why do you want God to take that away? Is it so you could go back to doing the same things maybe that you were doing before? What were those things? What is it that you're missing out because you're physically or financially or relationally handicapped? Is it so that you can get back on mission? Or is it just so you feel comfortable? Other preachers will tell you that you come to Jesus and everything is roses. But it's not the gospel that I'm reading. It says there'll be persecutions. There'll be difficulties. There'll be struggles. I don't, I don't want to be callous to those who are hurting physically. I want to pray for that. But I want to remind you that we've all been told that we're going to die. I, I'm pretty sure that the morality, the morality, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mortality. I knew I was going to say that. I almost wrote it down. It's still hovering around 100%, isn't it? Give or take? Yeah, no. Look, what is it, why do you, why do, why do you want God to comfort you, to heal you? so that we can get back on mission. Now, we could stop there in prayer, but I, there's just two verses there at the end of James, and I, I don't think that, that he's just, again, randomly, he's, he's got these wisdom verses, but I think it all flows together in a sense of, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. A wise person pursues the wayward. Why? Because it's beneficial to them and to the person that they bring back. Look, the reason that we pray that God would work in our life and make us more like Christ and to heal us and to strengthen us emotionally and spiritually is so that we can go after people. We can be on mission. Now look, I... We all take time off. I, you know, my, we were tired yesterday, and I'll tell you, we have one of those Saturdays yesterday where my wife and I got to the end of the day and went, what did we accomplish today? And I'll be honest with you, I only had one thing on my checkbox. I took the dog for a walk. It was not a highly productive day. I don't think that is sinful. Now, if I string four or five of those together, then we're starting to have a problem, Right? I'm not saying you need to be like, but how concerned are, when you put all these things together, are you asking God to do these things in your life for your comfort or to strengthen you to do what God has called you to do?
So here's some application and action for us this week. Prayer should help you remain faithfully dependent on God. At very core, when I go to God, it is a recognition that, God, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. And that could be a lot of things, folks. God, I need you to intervene in my marriage. I need you to intervene in my finances. I need you to intervene in my relationships. I need you to intervene. God, I, when I look at my own abilities and the things that you've put before me, I am recognizing that I need help. That's what prayer is. And people began to cry out to God. We probably need to cry out to God much, much more. And as I cry out to God, one of the things that I want to happen is that I need to continually get to the root of the problem. And I'm just going to clue you in. The root of the problem is going to often have a connection with sin. Boy, that's exciting. The more intimate we get with God in prayer, the more we end up going, oh man, I need to confess this. I need to confess this. But the more that we remain dependent on God and the more that we confess sin, the greater ability we have to stay on missions to make this, to love God, to love people, and make disciples. Now, if your goal is just to love God and live comfortably, I would say you're missing part of the mission. If your goal is just to love people from a distance, right? I love people, I just don't like being around them. Let's say you're missing part of the mission. If your goal is simply just to give money so that other people can make disciples, say that you're missing part of the mission. So what does prayer do? Prayer reminds us to be dependent on God it reminds us to continually deal with our stuff, and our stuff is usually sin. And it reminds us to stay on mission so that when we pray that God might heal, that God might touch us physically, it's so that we can do more for his kingdom. When we pray that God would help us to have more joy and and stress out less and be worried less, it's not so that we can be comfortable, it's so that we can be more effective on mission. When we pray for a better job or, uh, or more savings or, or more things in our finances, it's not so that we don't have to stress out every day, although that's wonderful. But it's so that we can be freed up to give more and do more for the kingdom of God. When we pray for political rest in our country, it's not so that our political party whatever it might be, is reigning supremely. It's so that we might have more freedom to be on mission. The wise person prays in all circumstances that God's kingdom would come and that he might use us in the process. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time of worship this morning. Um, we thank you. Um
that you hear our prayers. We thank you that even as we pray, even as I pray right now, you know the deeper-hearted issues that are going on in our church, that are going on in our individual lives, that are going on in our country. God, you understand the issues of our sin that's impacting so much. So God, we pray that you would search us. Pray that we would be a confessing church, a repenting church. We pray, God, that we would be so quick to confess our sins to you, recognizing that you are faithful and just and will forgive our sins. But God, we pray that that act would remind us that we are to forgive others, to love others, and to stay on mission. God, I'm not unaware of the many people that we are continually praying for physically. And we recognize that you are the great physician that you can do more than we can think or imagine. So we pray that you would be with Ruth in surgery tomorrow, God. We pray for a miraculous recovery. We continue to pray for Dawn, Lord. We know what the doctors say. And you are greater than whatever doctor says whatever he wants to say. You can do whatever you want. So I pray for healing a healing that amazes the doctors and causes us to rejoice. I pray for Mark. He's not here this morning, God, but I pray that even now you would touch his body and give him strength that can only come from you. God, there are others here that just need you to touch them physically. And if that's you, I just just pray that you would just Talk with God right now, just saying, God, I, you know what the physical, you, you know what it is. But God, there are also people in our congregation that are broken spiritually. Who are, who are having a hard time coming back to you. And God, I, I pray that you would open up doors for them. There are those that have just been relationally broken for a long time and just pray that they would come and, and, and come to a point of, of confessing that. There are those who are struggling with anxiety and depression. God, you know who they are. And I know that they have cried out to you over and over and over asking for you to Heal them emotionally. Some, so many times that they, they don't even ask anymore. But God, you know their heart. God, I pray that you would bring healing. And God, in all of these situations, I pray that we would stop and examine our own heart that we might confess sin, that more than anything, we'd be spiritually healed before you. not just from this week, but sin that we've left unconfessed for a long period of time. Attitudes that we've left go 
unchecked for way too long. Fantasies that we've played with that we don't tell anybody about, but we don't confess them either. Wrong motives that we've just embraced as being part of this culture but are not a part of your word. God, may we be broken before you so that we might experience healing like we've never experienced before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.